0: Let's take our Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. We're going to focus our attention on just one verse this morning. We're in the larger section of verses 9 through 13 of chapter 12. And so just as a reminder, as as Paul is telling us what it looks like to be a living sacrifice, that's his focus in verse 1, what it means to live out the will of God, this is what he is fleshing out in chapter 12. And so then beginning in verse 9, he lays out for us uh, you know, just a series of phrase after phrase after phrase that uh, gives us more detail about what this looks like. We've been spending our time in these verses carefully looking at each one uh, of these pieces of instruction. So then verse 11, uh, 12, We've, we looked at 11 last week. Verse 12 then offers us three more pieces of instruction. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. I have a confession to make. That always gets a reaction, doesn't it? Thinking, hold on, is this being recorded? Let me get out the necessary device in order to do so. I sometimes in my weaker and more fleshly moments, I guess you could say, I sometimes wish the Bible was easier. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, by that I don't necessarily mean that I'm troubled by the, the deep and complex theological ideas that are in the Bible. I, I recognize we're talking about God, and we're talking about deep things. What I mean by easier is I wish there were some sections of it that read a little bit more like articles today. Not all of it, just some of it, such as, I'm sure you've come across these, like three easy steps to financial freedom. Four changes you can make today to achieve your weight loss goals. Free up your life with these two time management tricks. Those kinds of articles, right? I mean, that's that's nearly all that we find online these days. Seven to this, three to that, four about that, five about this. Can you imagine if we opened up a text and we're in some book of the New Testament, I'm thinking, Paul, can you imagine if we opened up a book, and, and indeed, Paul begins the text by saying, I'm going to give you three simple and easy ways to get out of trouble and never experience it again. Anyone Would anyone think, yes, finally. That's what I've been waiting for. How about this? How about we turn over to... First Peter, and Peter begins a sentence by saying, Now I'm gonna lay out for you seven steps to never sinning again. How does that sound right? We hear stuff like that and we think, yeah, why in the Bible written like that? Now, let's be clear, I obviously believe in the full inerrancy and fallibility and authority of the Bible. There's a reason why God wrote it and not me, all right? In other words, He's a lot better at that. So it is His Word. He's given it to us in the exact, perfect, precise form that it needs to be in. And I think that's really important. Because while in my weaker moments, my more fleshly moments, I might wish the Bible had little trite kinds of instruction like that. We recognize life really is not... Ever that simple and that easy. In fact, I've yet to read one of those articles, and I click on them just like anybody else. I've yet to read one that did not disappoint me by the time I got done. Every single one of them promises far more than it can ever deliver. I think this is the nature of life, right? Life brings us challenges, difficulties. Quite quite frankly, you and I should expect that we're never going to be much more than an arm's length, so to speak, away from something that burdens us. That doesn't mean we're always sad and it's always difficult and everything at all times is always hard. But while, while there are great and precious moments in life, we know they also come along with everything else. This is no different in the Christian life. Christian living, I'm not giving you anything profound and deep, something you've never heard before. Christian living is not easy. It is not necessarily simple, though the Bible is often clear. Just because the Bible is clear on things doesn't mean the Bible is easy about things, right? They're not the same thing. And as we've noted in this very text, the very problem of Romans 12, 9 through 13, is that it is clear. <laughs> That's part of its trouble. It tells me exactly what it says. It leaves me no wiggle room. And what our verses do for us, the verse this morning that we're looking at, I think it helps us then address this particular reality. Sometimes, I think we get in our minds, wouldn't it be great if we could just have this simple program that once we got through it, then we never had any other troubles, we never had any other difficulties, we never got sad or anxious or frustrated or depressed, we never had any other pain, that once we got through this six step, six ways, whatever, then it all was well and good with life. I know we want it to be that way, but it is not. This is a world... That is dominated by sin. We still live in a flesh that loves itself. We live in a world, again, is just full of these kinds of realities of sin. And so, a text like Romans 12, verse 11, is instructive in the midst of all of these exhortations. And Paul has already exhorted us on a number of what we're calling marks of faithfulness. What does it look like to live a fully devoted life? in Christ. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? We've already looked at a number of ideas. They're there in your bulletin. If you want to take notes, there are going to be some blanks this morning. But there are a number that we've already looked at. If you were to go back to verse 9, you you see the instruction about love. If you were to look at the rest of verse 9, you see the instruction about holiness. Paul instructed us on kindness. He also instructed us last week on diligence. In fact, verse 11, that's what we spent all of our time on last Sunday, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We noted how part of the Christian life is this, is this commitment to hard work and uh, to wanting to be zealous and passionate for the things of God so that in what we do for the Lord, we do we engage in hard work and a fervent spirit all in serving God. And wouldn't it be great if every day we woke up Gung ho and ready to do just that, right? It doesn't always work that way. And so I think the the issues that Paul then addressed now stem naturally from those, recognizing that at times it's not always that easy or simple. Frankly, we often have to give ourselves to doing the hard things. The Bible challenges us with that. Of course, the good news is we know all the instruction that we're given in this text. Comes to us in light of the gospel. We know that because Christ died and rose from the dead, we know that because in Him we've been made right with God, that now we are a new creation. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We are empowered and enabled to live faithfully. We know that we have the resources needed in order to do what Christian living looks like. Still, this instruction comes to us, and I think it can be helpful. I think it can be convicting. And I I think it's appropriate that we recognize this in in light of what can often be the challenging moments uh, of Christian living. So, how do we manage then this life of devotion in particular when we find ourselves in some of the harder times? So, we're going to look at three ideas here. Again, they're stated simply, they don't require a whole lot of commentary. What does it mean when your pastor says it doesn't require a whole lot of commentary? What does that mean? It means nothing, right? I mean, in other words, it means, it means, it's like, yeah, I'll have that work done in six months. Oh, you know, it's like, whatever, okay, yeah, we know it's just not, it's not a real thing. Uh, it's like a promise from a lot of politicians. All right, so, we, it really does come at us straightforward. And again, if you want to put in some blanks there, fill in some blanks, you can. So, number one today, but number five in this list, the next principle that we see it's to be joyful. Did anybody just groan on the inside a little bit? I mean, it, maybe we didn't want to do it outwardly, right? I mean, it's Sunday morning, so we're all dressed and we all look happy like we all love the Lord. But I mean, did anybody did anybody in that moment just kind of go, hmm, seriously? After that big buildup, this is what you tell me? To That the next instruction is to be joyful. Now, again, it's not as I say, about a lot of things in the Bible. Not, not the cook, just the waiter, right? I don't write the stuff. Okay, I don't write it. It says it right away, verse 12, in light of everything that he's already said. Again, all this kind of, you know, strings together so we could get the feel for it. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. Those are challenging words, aren't they? I mean, in a lot of contexts. Now, in some contexts, perhaps not. Maybe if you find yourself in that season of life where all is well and good. Okay. Yeah. Joy. I get it. And the word word rejoicing, so we, we understand that to be the language of joy. But right off the bat, I think we deal with a definition issue here. I don't know if anybody in this room does this. Perhaps you do. For sure out in the world today, my guess is you will hear people talk about joy and happiness as if they are synonyms. But biblically, they are not. Happiness we recognize to be an emotional response that is tied to a particular experience, right? In other words, happiness is is located in and grounded in What's going on in your life? It, it, it is properly described as an emotion. So, things are going good. We have a good experience, right? Things go our way, and, and there, is, there is happiness. Things don't go our way. Things don't happen the way we want. And then we probably have what might be the other side of that. We might feel some amount of sadness, But the language of joy has no bearing on the circumstances of your life. Let that sink in for a minute, church. Joy, biblically speaking, is not situated in the experiences of your life. What I experience, whether good or bad, is not necessarily an indicator of whether or not I can rejoice in hope. That's because joy, now this is important to get down, that is because joy is not an emotion, it is an attitude or state of mind that is not related to my circumstances but instead is related to my confidence in God and His promises. That's the real payoff there, church. This this is why joy is different than all these other things. Why it's different than happiness or whatever other feelings of, uh, of satisfaction or other types of happiness or contentment we might feel. Joy in the Bible always related to a particular frame of mind. The way I think about the reality of life that is not grounded in the circumstances I'm facing, but instead is grounded in what I know to be true about God and His promises. So when Paul says, Rejoicing in hope, Paul is calling on the believer, regardless of the circumstance, to still have full confidence that God is who He said He is and can do what He said He will do. In other words, joy, rejoicing, is a theological reality. And perhaps that is the, 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 the significant thing to say. Hope springs from our, our, our circumstances, whereas joy springs From our theology, we believe that that God is a good God, God is an all-powerful God, God is an all-knowing God, God is an ever-present God, and that this God has made promises to me. And you'll notice the specific way in which we rejoice. Rejoice in what? Hope. Anytime the Bible just about mentions hope, for sure Paul, and for sure in the book of Romans, when Paul uses the word hope, that is code, all right? Right? That, that, that is signaling to us a whole host of theological realities that all pertain to the return of Christ, the resurrection of the saints, God establishing the forever kingdom, you entering into your forever reward. It is the final fulfillment of all things that God has said He would do for those who belong to Him. When, the, when, when Paul talks about hope, he talks about an absolute certain confidence that God is going to keep His promises. So, that this is the language of confidence. Paul strings these two ideas together. Rejoicing and hope. Now, you know, we don't want to misunderstand that again, that language of rejoicing. It's, it's not that we're always peppy and upbeat. I know you look at me and think, wow, pastor, you're always so peppy and upbeat, right? I'm just full of, of energy and sweetness, and you must assume he's always joyful, right? Okay, so that's not always joy. Joy may not always mean pep, which is good, looking at some of you this morning. All right, so hopefully you can still… Now he's just going to insult the rest of us. All right, great, yeah, good. So it it is grounded in a particular understanding of who God is, that God in His great power and might holds me. God has promised things to me, and God's going to fulfill all of those promises. Again, all of this is grounded in the gospel, by the way. I cannot rejoice in hope apart from rejoicing in the gospel itself. In other words, all of this, being able to do this, is because first and foremost, God and His grace has saved me. Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. And no matter what happens, I absolutely know that to be true all the time. I absolutely know that to be true. And that that moment that happened nearly 2,000 years ago guarantees then my eternity. Nothing can ever break that because I am in His hand and no one can ever snatch me away. No one can ever rob me of the promises of salvation. So what Christ did on the cross and being raised from the dead... In that gospel message is the very foundation and core of why we can rejoice in hope. Because God has made promises in light of the gospel. We can trust every single one of them. Rejoicing in hope. A couple other verses that, that say similar kinds of things. Just a few to look at. Psalm thirty two eleven. Similar kind of language though doesn't use the word rejoicing or joy, but it's the same kind of exhortation. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all you who are upright in heart. Philippians four four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. And then a similar instruction in first Thessalonians five, sixteen through eighteen. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is the will of God. This is another great example, by the way, of a topic we get so wrapped up in, but we think about it often just personally and individually. You wonder, what is God's will for your life? Well, there could be a number of things, but I can tell you at the very least, it is this. How do I know rejoicing is God's will? Because the verse, all right? The verse says so. That's how I know. The verse says it. Rejoice always. Now, you, you may read that and like the other verse, Philippians 4.4, 4. rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't get it, Paul then repeats it again. I say, <laughs> rejoice. Are you seriously? I mean, rejoice always? Does that really sound reasonable to you? Isn't that one of those examples where, again, you'd like to maybe go back and have the simpler, easy three steps to having joy at all times? Wouldn't that be great? But again, here's the distinction. Whenever that language shows up, you'll notice it never tells me, I draw my joy from my circumstances. I can be joyful in all things, but it never says to do that because of the things. Now, sometimes what I go through in life may indeed fuel joy, all right? I don't want it to sound like nothing ever does. It absolutely can. You you can experience great and incredible moments that fuel joy. But you'll notice what every single one of these verses have in common. And almost every time this language shows up, Old and New Testament, it is always the language of rejoice in the Lord. Again, we're talking about a theological reality. So, how do we do this? Well, I don't know if this is going to be good good news to you or not, alright? But here's what you're going to have to do. In fact, I'd recommend two things here pick up the Bible, and read it. How's that? that good? Here he goes again. Talking about that Bible thing, and i got to read the Bible. Right, yes, yes. Now, let me give you a little bit more specific instruction there. I, I don't know to what degree you have Bible intake, how much you are reading the Bible, how you are reading the Bible, but I can tell you every generation of the church... In whatever else the church was reading or studying or preaching, especially in like what we'd call personal devotional moments, the church has always loved the Psalms. So here's my encouragement to you. Make this a thing for the summertime. That you read through the book of Psalms, read through it with this particularly in mind. There's going to be all kinds of things in there. But with this question in mind, what does this tell me about God? You know, the best ways to encourage joy, rejoicing always, rejoicing in hope, is that you, by habit, concentrate your mind and heart on God and His attributes. There's not an attribute of God that doesn't show up in some way or form in the Psalms. Focusing my attention on who God is, how God is at work in the world, the promises God makes, all all of this, God's sovereignty, God's grace, God's love, God's power, even language of God's judgment and justice, all of these things help build in me a heart and a mind that will rejoice in the Lord. Now, I've got another instruction. This one comes harder. Other than picking up the Bible, pick up a real book we, we still know what these are, right? An actual book. And, and I'm going to tell you, just to let you in on a bit of my Luddite tendencies, all right? I would encourage like an actual book that was actually printed and put together, okay? Now, you don't have to do that. I know it's just your ornery, cantankerous pastor taking a shot at some things. But I would encourage you to read a book, and I'm going to give you one. I've, I've recommended this more often than, uh, than one time. In fact, maybe even on a Sunday morning. But A.W. Tozer... A Knowledge of the Holy. A.W. Tozer, A Knowledge of the Holy. It's a great introduction to the attributes of God. If you've not read it, I would strongly recommend it. It's like 100 pages, 120 pages. I forgot how... It's not long, but it's deep and profound. So, I would encourage you to read books like that. Concentrate your mind on who God is. And with that, let me suggest another tip. Be mindful... About how much you are allowing the events of the day to dominate your thoughts. Be mindful about how much the events of the day, whatever those events are, nationally, locally, whatever, you know, whatever, internationally, whatever they are, be careful. I'm not saying you ignore the reality of what's going on in the world, I just mean be careful how much that is impacting your thoughts. Because I, I want to cultivate an intentional, theological, God-centered mindset. The only way that you will ever experience this kind of instruction is by giving your heart and mind over to thinking deep things about God. Because that is the source of my joy. Alright, number two. Number two. You're not going to like this one. Be patient. Be patient. Oh, now he's just gone from ornery to meddling, right? Be patient. The next phrase lays it out: rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. The word patient is language of endurance, perseverance. It it, it, carries the language of bearing up under something, in other words, that you are, you are enduring, that something, that the very nature of the word implies that there is a weight involved, the very nature of the word implies this is not an easy thing, all right? In other words, no one, no one is ever, you know, gonna say to me as I'm plowing my way through a pine of Ben and Jerry's, Pastor, just be patient, all right? Be just be patient, all right? I mean, in other words, we don't have to be be patient when it's good. All right? In other words, that's just not the language we use. Patience is, is always tied to something that may be hard. Otherwise, we don't need it, right? And specifically, Paul identifies it patient in tribulation. Now, my guess is Paul, first and foremost, has in mind being patient in the midst of persecution. I think that's probably first on his mind. That The tribulation he is talking about is suffering for the sake of the gospel. And if anybody knew what it meant to suffer for the sake of the gospel, right? It was the Apostle Paul. But I don't think that's the only meaning, that the word itself is rather general. And, and therefore, you know, we have other texts from Paul himself in the New Testament, other texts that encourage us to be patient with, with all things in life, right? Uh, that this, this is just the, 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 nat- the nature of things. We will face trouble in this life. And so the instruction to us is to, to bear up under it, to, be, to, to endure through it. To Recognize we're going to have to Persevere. Patience is a well-attested concept in the New Testament, but it is challenging, right? Because we don't want to be patient in tribulation, do we? What do you want your tribulation to be? Quick and fast, right? I I would compare it this way. It's the difference, but, but that's not how God works, by the way. In fact, very often, more often than not, I think God works in our lives in such a way that it builds patience. I think he's, he's always working in our lives to build this particular virtue, all right? This is, this is always going on. In our minds, here's how I would distinguish it. It's the difference between going to McDonald's and Chef and the Farmer. Are you all familiar with Chef and the Farmer, right? Restaurant in Kinston. So, McDonald's, we get frustrated if they take longer than two minutes, right? In other words, if the bag's not out the door by the time I drive by... What's going on? You guys make just a few... Why isn't this ready? And then I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I eating food that's already... Pre- anyway, okay, so... But that's how we want our tribulation, right? Give me the drive-through. I understand it's a part of life. Let me, let me pay at one window, and at the next window, get it, and then I'm gone, right? Let's get this over with. And what's the other thing that's true about a McDonald's meal, not going to break the bank, right? Then there's chef and the farmer. Again, if you've never eaten there, it's a high-end restaurant. Everything is made to order. And if you're going to go, many of you probably have, if you're going to go, which I, I highly recommend it. By the way, they don't give me any kickbacks. i tell them I sent you, all right? Maybe they would, okay? But as you all know, I'm a bit of a food nerd. Anyway, I, when you go, it's going to take you two hours. It's going to take two hours. I mean, you're, you're going to order a, a pizza, and they don't have anything ready. They're, they're going to go make it. You're going, to, you're going to get a steak. You're going to get some other dish, and they're, they're going to make it. And it's going to come in waves, glorious waves, all right, of food after food. After food. Small, small plates, large plates, dessert plate. Yes, all of it. Okay, so it's going to be two hours it's going to cost more than McDonald's. All right, I'll go ahead and tell you that right now. It's going to cost a dollar to more. Yeah, so what do we what we want with our tribulation? Yeah, we want we want McDonald's. But what's the better meal? Now, I know I'm inevitably I'm going to have some contrarian who's going to tell me they'd prefer McDonald's to Chef and the Farmer. All right, don't come tell me that. Okay, all right. Because you don't want to get into a big argument right here in front of church and God and everybody. Alright, so, you're going to say that. But for the most part, it's the better meal. It takes a long time. It's going to cost more. But at the end, you get a much better, I would argue, payoff. This is, this is what, so, this is the struggle, right? We, we want the McDonald's tribulation, but God is more often than not working in the chef and the farmer form of tribulation according to His sovereign will for whatever reason because God is at work preparing in us a much greater thing. So, the call on me is that I would be patient in the midst of tribulation By the way, this is not unconnected to the previous idea. To rejoice in hope. Why am I patient in tribulation? Because I know tribulation is not going to be the last thing on my plate. No matter matter the nature in which I embrace it or don't embrace it, I can be confident. And and kind of tie in with how I even began the sermon. We want three steps to problem-free. We want seven ways so we'll never sin again. You know, here's maybe the irony, nothing less, at least it's the good news about this, one day, you will be problem free. One day, you'll go, sin? What sin? One day, you'll walk without pain, you'll live without grief. One day, Those things that are a companion of yours, and you feel like you have to build an extra room on your house just to give them a place to stay, all right? Those things will be gone. I can rejoice in hope because God, who can be believed and trusted, has made promises to me. And I can be patient in tribulation because that same God has said, this tribulation is but for a moment. It is passing away. And so we can rejoice in hope, and we can be patient in tribulation. Again, we can be patient in this kind of tribulation, not only because of God's promises of what's going to come in the future, because of the promise of the gospel itself. I mean, this is part of the benefit (laughs) of, of the work of the gospel. I can rejoice in hope and I can be patient in tribulation because God in His goodness has saved me. God has made me a new creation. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no, no longer under the, the bonds of the flesh. I've been freed gloriously by Christ. I've been, I've been indwelt by His Holy Spirit. And now I can walk in freedom and obedience. Will I do that every single time? Nope. But what do I have in those moments when I don't? I have got the promise. If I confess my sin, He is faithful and just to forgive me, cleansing me from all unrighteousness. I've got the promise that I have an advocate before the Father. When life reaches its hardest, I have the promise of Romans 8, 26-28. We don't know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us. These are the, these are the promises of God's word to us and they all come to us because of the gospel because God in his grace sent his one and only son to bear his wrath on the cross and he was gloriously raised from the dead to break the power of sin and death so that all who believe in him all who confess their faith in Christ all who trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation can be saved and if you are here today and you've never trusted Christ as your savior I would implore you to do so because all that I've talked about this morning being joyful, being patient, the promises related to those are uniquely given to those who know Christ as Savior. Everything else is going to be less than. Everything else is going to be shallow. Everything else is going to be hollow, quite frankly, compared to what is promised in Christ. To the believer, we're going to have a time where we're going to sing together and, and, and as we sing about our great God, His goodness toward us, perhaps you look at your life and you would say, you know, yeah, the issue of rejoicing is a thing for me. I've been keeping my eyes on my circumstances instead of the God of promise. Maybe there is a tribulation and you think I've been patient long enough. And maybe you realize tomorrow God's going to expect you to walk at least one more day through this. I would encourage you then to entrust in submission to Him. Come before your God confessing your absolute faith that He keeps all of His promises you can walk through these challenging days because of what God has said He has done and what He will do. Let's stand together and I'll pray, and after I pray, you can respond as the Lord would lead. Father God, we thank You for the gathering of Your people. We thank You for the clarity of Your Word. We thank You for the work of salvation. Father, we we thank You that You provide us with all that we need for life and godliness, and that includes being able to rejoice in hope and to be patient in tribulation. So we pray, God, You would bring Your Word to bear on our lives, that You, by Your Spirit, would continue to do that sanctifying work. Father, that, that You would, again, do in us what needs to be done, that we might bring You the greatest glory. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.